What do we do in uncertain times? We've been studying the book of Habakkuk for a few weeks now, and if you're new here, we are, we, we're going through this minor prophet. We often don't spend a lot of time in Habakkuk, but what we've been seeing in Habakkuk is a prophet asking the question, essentially, what do we do in troubled times? What do we do when things are coming down around us? And, and we've been exploring that over these last weeks and, and thinking about how it comes back to God's grace and where we, we land on that. And so it is in the third chapter of Habakkuk that the prophet goes from asking questions of God to praying and singing before God. It's not necessarily where I always go in troubled times. In troubled times, a lot of times I just get really deep in my own thoughts and I feel very dark and, and, and discouraged. But the prophet Habakkuk composes a song. And how is it that we come before God and we sing before him truth about him and he uses that to speak to our hearts, and yet sometimes, we, a lot of times, we don't naturally come to that. And so tonight, that's where we're going to be dwelling. And as we prepare to, to think about these questions a little bit more, let's go ahead and come before our God in prayer and ask that he would guide our exploration. Let's pray. Father, when we don't understand what's going on, when we don't understand where you are taking us, we don't understand how the pieces of life fit together, we can get lost in all kinds of different directions. But Lord, instead, would you guide us towards you and your truth, that we might be encouraged by it, we pray. In the precious name of your Savior, Jesus, amen. Has anyone gone on vacation this year? You know, in a normal year, uh, I would have seen probably more hands. Uh, oh, hey, we have a hand. Hey, someone went on vacation, woo! Yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> well, you know, vacation somehow, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we used to go on a lot more vacations, right? I mean, it seems like the last few years, vacations feels a little more distant than it used to, but, but vacation, what do we do when we go on vacation? Well, we, we uh, go and see beautiful things. We go and what? I'm sorry? We Relax, relax. Yeah, oh yeah, I, I like to relax on vacation, go and stop someplace and Read books. Yeah, visit family. That can be good on vacation. Yeah, so you get to kind of get out of town, slow down a little, and get to see people at the same time, right? Yeah. Yeah, all kinds of wonderful things. We Oh, shopping. Yeah, yeah. you have to go shopping on vacation, right? Because, well, you have to get souvenirs, right? Yeah, I mean. Yeah, yeah. If you go on vacation and you don't have souvenirs, did the vacation even happen? You know, we, we, there's the age-old question, if a tree falls in the forest, does it make a sound if no one is there to hear it? Well, an important 
similar question is, if you go on vacation, you don't have any souvenirs, did the vacation happen? Because how are you going to know that you went on vacation, right? You come back home, you, you, isn't that amazing? You, you feel relaxed, you feel excited, it was this wonderful vacation, you come back, and within a couple of days, you're just back to the normal everyday grind, maybe even a little more hectic than normal because you're trying to catch up. But, but if you went shopping and you bought that t-shirt, Maybe it says, I went to so-and-so place and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. Maybe it's one of those. Or maybe you got the keychain, the, the coffee mug, you have that. And you look at that and you can say, well, it doesn't feel like that vacation much anymore. But I can look at this mug, I can wear this shirt, and suddenly for a second I remember my vacation and I remember the, the refreshment and the joy and the relaxation, all these things. And you kind of are reminded of that vacation, and it encourages us. It, it helps us to feel maybe a moment of vacation again. If, if I go out and get one of my T-shirts from down in the Ozarks, and I put it on, for a second, it sort of, oh, yeah, that feels good. Yeah, and then, you know, then I forget I have it on. But, yeah, for, but for a moment, we need those reminders. We need those reminders of the history of our lives but we need something more than that. We need those reminders of the history of God and his people. Because here's the thing, we live in uncertain times, and uh, I, 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 don't talk to, I haven't talked to anyone, and I don't know how long, who said, yeah, everything's under control. I know exactly where every part of life is going. I feel at peace with every part of life. That doesn't happen, right? And, and so what do we need? We, we need to be reminded that God is in control of history. And that's where the prophet lands here. Habakkuk has been wrestling with what's going on here. What are we doing with all this judgment? What are we doing with all these things that are disquieting? I, I, I see that my people are going to be taken from their land because God is going to bring judgment on them. And, and Habakkuk knows that's a right thing, and yet it's an unsettling thing. But then he sees the people that are going to come and bring that judgment. They're going to be even worse. So what does he do? As he composes this song in this dark time, he turns to the truth that God is in control of history. And that's where we're going to look tonight. If you have your Bible with you, if you want to turn to, to Habakkuk 3, or it'll be up on screen. Habakkuk says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. We're going to stop right there for a moment, and, and there's more. That seems like an abrupt stop. We'll, we'll get to it, but, but let's just soak in what he's saying there, because even those geographical references there at the end of that section are tied into this first part, which is his reverence towards God. He's going to start with, God, you are the God who is in control. I, I know that you're the one who who is mighty. I've heard, he says, the report of you. And I'm going to dwell on it. He, he says in verse 2, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. He knows what God can do. He knows what God's capable of. And so in the midst of all the uncertainty that he's experiencing, what does he do? He comes before God and he remembers it. He remembers what God has done in the past. But he doesn't stop with fear. As he goes on in verse 2, he says, In the midst of the years, revive it. Revive what? Revive, revive his work. work. And what, what is his work? work? What does he want to be made known as he goes on? In the midst of the years, make it known. He says, in wrath, this wrath that's coming towards them. In wrath, remember mercy. 
don't usually put wrath and mercy together, do we? we? We think, oh, this person is really angry. This person's always merciful. But Habakkuk says, he's not saying God shouldn't be angry. God should be angry. He knows that God should be angry. He's been discussing that in these previous chapters. He says, in your wrath, remember the mercy I've heard about you. I've heard that you're a merciful God. I know of your mercy. Remember it. Make it known. Now, then he goes on. He's talking about mercy, and then suddenly he's referencing Teman and, and Mount Paran, and you think, why are we doing a geography lesson here, Habakkuk? What's going on here? Well, these aren't random references, and he's not just partial. He's not talking about, oh, I went on a vacation once to Mount Paran. I have a t-shirt on right now, and I'd really love a Mount Paran moment, God. That's not what he's saying. He, he is saying he would like a Mount Paran moment, though. Not because he's been on vacation there, but because God has taken his people to there. Take a look at what he says as he goes on in verses 4 and 5, and he starts to clue us in here on why he's talking about these mountains. He says of God, His brightness was like the light rays that flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. That sounds like something we find back in Deuteronomy, as Moses recalls, the Lord appearing on the mountain. Moses said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. When Moses, at the end of his life, wanted to remind the people of Israel, God is with you, God is taking you to this where you're going to go into the promised land and he's going to do what he said, what does he do? He takes them back to the mountain. He says, go back to when the Lord came and he gave his law to us. And he appeared in a very fearful way. He appeared not as, sometimes people look at Habakkuk and say it sounds like he's describing a sunrise or sunset. Not as a sunrise or a sunset, something we just sit back and, or maybe we pull out our phone and I'm going to take a picture of this. This is great. Uh, yeah, yeah sun sunrise let's see here a sunrise oh yeah oh yeah oh, that's good put it on facebook no not that kind of light he's talking about what what is he ta- what is he talking about here he's talking about fire burning in the sky thunder and lightning smoke the the majesty of the lord appearing before the people in a most fearsome way just as habakkuk is experiencing the fear of the lord in this moment but but in that fear What does Habakkuk recall? What does Moses remind the people of? They both point to the fact that God is faithful. God's fearsome appearance before the people of Israel in the giving of the law was so that he could appear before them to give them the law, not to to destroy them, but rather to say, you're my people and now I'm going to tell you what it looks like to be my people. I'm going to claim you, and I'm going to tell you how you live so that everyone knows that you're mine, so you can wear my T-shirt, and everyone will know these people belong to the Lord. And even though God would become angry at the people of Israel, he came and rescued them time and again. And why did he do that? Because they were his people. Jim's going to be talking about more of that next week. And, And as we think about that faithfulness that we see in God's relationship to his people time and again and again. It comes that even in God's furious 
majesty, even in the most fearsome moments of the Lord. There's that mercy that Habakkuk brings up in this song. God appears in a way before the people of Israel that that fire could have shot down and wiped them all out in the moment. And, And the Lord knew everything they were going to do, all the horrible things they were going to do, all the ways they were going to be faithless to him. Yet what did he do? He said, I want everyone to know that you're mine. You belong to me. I'm going to be your God. I'm going to use you on this mission that I have. Even though you're going to mess up a lot. That's what Habakkuk's thinking of when he references those, those geographical spaces. He's thinking of the appearance of the Lord at the Exodus. And he's, he's thinking about how God has, from the very beginning of calling his people, been faithful to them. And so now in this moment where, where God's people have done horrible things, they've worshipped horrible false gods, and they've sacrificed their children to the gods, and they've made bargains that have corrupted them over and over again. They've abused the poor. They, they've done horrible, horrible things. Habakkuk knows that God's fury, God's wrath, the, the full righteousness of God is going to appear. And it's going to be scary. And it's going to be, in some ways, terribly, terribly fearful. But he knows that even in the most fearful moment that we experience with God, that God is a God of mercy. If you think about how he describes this here, it's really quite striking. We read in verse 5, Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. Now, I don't think of that as a picture of, of someone who's merciful. If, if, if I'm trying to describe a, a, one of my friends and I say, you know, this friend of mine is just so merciful and kind and plague and pestilence follow him everywhere. You'd think I was crazy. But how does, how does Habakkuk present this? Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He's not describing just randomly these disasters. He's describing these disasters as if they're members of the royal court. They're the powers that God commands. Even plague and pestilence are servants to the Lord. And if you think about the Exodus, that's exactly how they work. There's the plagues. We, if we know a story from the Exodus, it's probably the plagues. And maybe you've, you've seen, you know, Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments. Or you've seen, uh, what's the, uh, the animated one? Prince of Egypt. You've seen one of those. Or, or, of course, as we're reading through Scripture, we read these, these plagues and they stick in our minds. If, if we've been reading the Bible from, from childhood, we, we remember the plagues. They're hard to forget those plagues. And, and we think, boy, these horrible things. But... But it was notable at the time that God took the things that Egypt valued, the things they thought were powerful, the things they thought that represented their gods, and he used them against the people of Egypt to say, you're trusting in the wrong things. You think that river, you think, think these, these deities over the different animals and so on are going to somehow save you. They have nothing. They are false. And so too here. Because just like the Egyptians, plague and pestilence themselves were were viewed as being related to the gods of Canaan, the, the gods of the, the area where Israel inhabited, the gods that the Israelites, despite having the Lord, had chosen to follow instead. Habakkuk says here, those, those gods that, that you've been following because you think somehow they're going to give you an edge, those gods that you think somehow are going to be, be faithful to you, 
If you think that plague and pestilence are somehow deities that you can offer sacrifices to and they'll withhold suffering from you, you're so mistaken because they're not gods. They're merely servants in the court of the Lord. Plague and pestilence come as God's judgment. And so we thought with Egypt, he, he brings the plagues to Egypt, but then there are plagues out in the wilderness as well as God's people come out and they, they, they fail to be faithful. God brings his plagues. And even in that, there's mercy because those plagues aren't given just because God's angry and he wants to wipe out some people. It's not like you, you get someone really mad and he just starts hitting other people or something. It's not something like that. Why does God bring plague and pestilence? Why does he bring that judgment on his people? He brings it so that the people as a whole would repent because he's not re ready to give them up. He's not going to give them up. They had their t-shirts on. They're all smeared with, with all the things they've been doing, trying to focus on the other gods. But underneath, as God takes that Clorox and pours it on those shirts, you can see again, I'm the people of God. So in God's judgment, he brings, he's showing mercy. And so Habakkuk knows even as, as judgment's coming like a tidal wave towards them, even as uncertainty that Habakkuk would prefer not to experience is going to come, and Habakkuk knows it is going to come. That mercy is right in the middle of it. And how much more for us? We face uncertainty. We face things that feel like modern days plague and pestilence. Uh, boy, does that feel a little bit more familiar now than it did a few years ago? I mean, we, we understand plague now in a way that we didn't before. Now we're talking about another one, right? Let's see what happens with monkeypox. Who knows? But what we do know is that even when plague and pestilence come, that they, the, they, they can't rule over God. Even they bow to him. Everything does. Whatever we elevate into the place of the deity, whether it's, it's disasters coming and, and we spend all our time essentially worshiping those disasters out of fear or, or it's success or power or money, whatever it might be that we worship in our hearts. At best, it's something that is subservient to God and it, at worst, it's nothing at all. So where do we turn? Well, we turn to the God who is and who was, and evermore will be. And we do that the way that Habakkuk does. Because here's the thing, if, if whatever you're going through right now, whatever uncertainty you're experiencing in life, we think, well, okay, so God says he's faithful, but how do I know that he's going to be faithful to me? How do I know that he's actually going to be there for me? How do I know that he's not going to just say, oh, I'm, I'm bored with Tim, I'm going to move on now, I have nothing more with him. Well, you might say that, you're right. I mean, how do I know? Well, we do what Habakkuk does. We're called time and again in Scripture to do what Habakkuk does here, which is we return to what God has done in the past. We see who God is. Habakkuk goes back to the Exodus, to this great moment where God rescues his people with his mighty power to say, yes, that mighty power doesn't look as helpful right now. Yes, that mighty power right now looks kind of scary. But what do I know about the one who has that mighty power? He said he's a God of mercy. He said he's a God who, who won't abandon his people. He's a God that commands every force of the universe, even the ones that the other peoples around the world worship, even the, the things that I'm tempted to worship, even the things that too often we in our fallen human hearts do worship. He's in control. 
We see that as we look at, at the stories of God's past. Do, as, we, as we read the history that we find in God's Word, as we read the Exodus, or, or we, we read about the kings, or we go into the New Testament, we read the Gospels, are we reading this history as the history of a distant and far-removed God? Are we reading this like the history that we share with our friends? You ever sit down with an old friend you haven't seen in a while and, and, and you start talking about years past and, and fun things you did, happy memories? We do, why do we do that? We do that because it brings us joy thinking about those times again. And it reminds us of why we're friends with these people and, and what matters there and what draws us together. Do we experience that with God? When we're saying, God, I don't know what to do in this moment. Everything seems to be coming apart. Do we go back to the stories of what God has done throughout history and say, these are the stories of God and his people, and I'm part of that people. These are the stories that are for me. Psalm 77. Psalmist is, is, is questioning what's going on. He says, has his, the Lord's steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. What do you do when it seems like God's compassion is shut down? When, when, you, when you feel most distant from God, you, you're, you're, you come before God and you're praying before him and, and it feels like he maybe isn't there? feels very dark. What do we do in those times? We do what the psalmist says. We, we appeal to the years of the Lord's right hand. We look to the past, what he has done time and again, not just in our own lives, but throughout all of history, and we say, well, that's not how God works. God doesn't, doesn't quit. God doesn't abandon us. God is faithful. Now, but, but, but we're cynical in, in this era, aren't we? I, I listen to the radio a lot, especially during Cardinals games. Yeah, you know, you have to listen to the Cardinals wherever you may be. Part of the duty of living in St. Louis. So, so you're listening to commercials in, in between innings, or you're listening between segments of, of the talk radio show, and, and and you hear all these commercials. And, and a lot of times you'll hear commercials about retirement. Have you planned out your retirement? Do you have it all set? Do you know if you have enough saved? for however many years you want to retire and do all the trips. And, and then, of course, of course, here's the next part. Well, you probably haven't, but call John Smith. Because John Smith has a plan, and he has a policy that he can sell you that will ensure that everything will go well in your retirement. All you need to call is today and join the thousands of happy clients who are now re enjoying retirement security. Now, you hear all that, it sounds really good. You're hearing about the past results of th that John Smith has accomplished. No offense to any John Smiths listening tonight. A and you think, oh, that sounds pretty good. And then there's this vo voice that goes really fast at the end of the commercial. Past performance doesn't guarantee future results. Oh, right. Why do they say that? Well, because John Smith happened to invest in a stock that was astronomically successful a few years back, and his clients are really enjoying it now. But the next one he invested in was a real stinker and it's going to just sink your retirement, right? We, we don't know. We, we, we can't take the past and necessarily know how it's going to go in the future because while John Smith made a really good investment once, he might make a horrible one next time. 
well, but if the past doesn't ensure things, then, then maybe God's past doesn't ensure things either. Maybe, maybe there's a disclaimer somewhere in Scripture, let me see if I can find it here, that says past performance doesn't guarantee future results. Let me see here. Yeah, I don't see one. Why? Why? Because God isn't like that. He doesn't need that disclaimer because God's history is also our future. God's not bound by time. God's the Lord over time as well. We don't have to wonder, well, God pulled it off before. Can he do it again? And we see that alluded to back in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 3. Second half of that verse, he, he says, His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. Jump to verse 6. Habakkuk says, He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. Now that sounds like more history, right? So, okay, how, how do we get out of this disclaimer, you might be saying? It, it, because it's great that God did this in the past, but can he do it again in the future? Can he actually rescue us? But think about what Habakkuk said there for a moment. He, sh he stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. Has that happened? Not in our experience yet. Hasn't happened yet. It will happen. God will return. God will be victorious and the mountains will shake. Everything will, will bow down before the Lord. But Habakkuk looks, given that special view of the future where he's experiencing like history like God does, and he can look at, at the mountains, the mountains that seem like you can count on them forever. They're not going anywhere. They're, they're, they're made of rock. They're just there. You can have an earthquake. They're still there. They can be volcanoes. They'll blow up, but they'll still be there. But he can look at them and say, in light of God and who he is, even those eternal, put the air quotes around it, eternal mountains, even those things that seem like they will outlast us and they'll outlast a thousand generations on earth, they too bow before the Lord. Because his were the everlasting ways. Not the mountains. Not all the other things we trust in. Not what every day we start to put our hope in instead of the Lord. His are the eternal ways. In verse 3, he says of the Lord, His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. Again, do you see the earth completely full of his praise right now? I mean, there, there are a lot of people who praise God, but I don't know that I'd call it full of his praise. It feels like there's a, a lot more praise that could be happening. Wouldn't it be amazing if, if every place sounded like it did a few minutes ago when we were all singing and praising God, that, that the whole earth was just people praising God constantly? Wouldn't that be amazing? But it isn't happening yet. I wish it were. But what do we see here? We see again Habakkuk describing what will come. And, and think about this for a moment. This, this sounds a little hard to imagine for us right now, but think about it in Habakkuk's time. Here you are, 
You had the people of God. They were established in, in this place called Israel, and they were the Israelites, and, and, and they're there to worship God, and then they break into two little bitty nations that are constantly being threatened by all the nations around them, and then 10 of the 12 tribes are just wiped out off the face of the earth by an overwhelming power. Now you have just this little bitty spot here. Habakkuk's in this. This itty-bitty spot. There's these giant empires around. And God reveals the whole world is going to praise me. Can you imagine that? You think Habakkuk probably could be thinking, I could easily see him thinking in his head, God, how are you going to pull that off? I, I know you're, you're in charge of everything, but, but it sure doesn't look like it's going that way. It looks like it's actually getting to be less and less and less praise. Maybe, maybe sometimes we feel that way, right? We, we look at our, our own neighborhood, our own city, our own country. We think, it seems like there are fewer people praising. You look at the statistics, there are few people who say that they're Christians now in the United States. Thankfully, the church is growing worldwide still, but we say, well, will that stop too? I mean, even now it feels like, can it really be that the earth will be full of his praise? And yet, think for a moment here about what's happened in the last 2,600 years or so since Habakkuk wrote this. What's happened in that time? You went from that itty-bitty speck there that looked like it was going to be wiped out, and in fact, that country was wiped out, to people claiming the name of the Lord the world over. Over two billion people claim the name of Jesus. And think about what God's doing. Yeah, there's this, there was this little speck that, that worshipped the Lord, and there were all these other more powerful nations that were worshipping, all these things that promised to be lasting, but they're gone. And the Lord continues to rise up and draw his people Where has this happened? Well, we, we, we're seeing it happen now. That's the answer to the question. Where is it happening? It's happening because we're here. We're here thousands of miles away from where Habakkuk was. We're praising the Lord. And someday Jesus will return and the whole earth indeed will praise the Lord. And as part of the preparation of that, what does he do? He offers the mercy that we don't deserve, the mercy that Habakkuk cries out for. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. The Lord says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, and though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land, but if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God says to his people, not be perfect. He calls them to follow his, his law, but he knows they're going to need forgiveness. He says, though the, your sins, though they're, they're the sort of stains you're never going to get off that t-shirt, I'll cleanse them. They'll be as white as newly fallen snow. And, and you think about that picture. And then there is that judgment at the end of it. But if you, if you, don't, if you don't come to me, you'll be eaten by the sword. There is judgment. That's what Habakkuk's seeing now is, is judgment coming, and yet in that judgment, God doesn't say, I give up on all my people. He calls them instead to choose a better path, to follow him, that they might experience the peace and the joy of, of his cleansing and his mercy. 
in Psalm 7 that, that Jim led us through part of earlier. The psalmist says, O oh Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. He says, whatever I've done, even the things I'm not aware of, Lord, I want to take up that offer. I want to experience your forgiveness. And I think it's really amazing. Jim and I were talking before the service about that, that part that we used as the assurance after our time of silent confession before the Lord that, that all these bad things are happening to the psalmist, but, but he too looks at the history of who God is. And he says, even though things feel really uncertain now, and there are people surrounding me, and things seem really bad. What do I know? I know I can come and confess before God, because even in his wrath, even in his judgment, even in his righteousness, which shows me how unrighteous I am, I know he's a God of mercy. And we see that ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. The, the Israelites were experiencing a taste of that, but how much more in Jesus? In Philippians chapter 2, Paul walks us through the, the, the summary of Jesus' life that, that here it is that God incarnate, worthy of all praise and honor and glory and majesty, all that fire and smoke we are talking about, all the people bowing down, came and entered the world humbly, went to the cross for us. That we could experience that forgiveness that God offers us. That it wouldn't be distant, but rather would be present for us. That, that that history of God's mercy that we read about is also our future history that we experience in life. And if we recognize that, then we start to recognize that, that we can move from, from the normal fear, the fear that I so often am feeding in myself, the, the fear of what's going to happen, how's everything going to work, and, and why don't things work more smoothly, and, and is God going to come through, and is you know, these things that keep us up at night, we can move from that to to a holy fear, to a reverence of God. And, and, and as Paul describes in Philippians 2, that story of who God is, he goes on in verse 12 and says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What's he describing there? We, we no longer tremble like the mountains will tremble and fall. We tremble in the, the, the sheer majesty of a God who allows us into his presence because we recognize how holy he is. And yet we recognize that we're like Isaiah was when he appeared in the throne room of God. We're not, we're not wiped out. We're not taken out by the sheer majesty of God where, where it just incinerates us. Instead, he is the one who works in us that we can experience his salvation. And so it is that Habakkuk, as he sings of, of what God has done faithfully in the past, can, can sing of the expansion of that into the future, into a future that we are now a part of, because it's inevitable. And Jesus came to make sure that we would experience that inevitability. Speaking of vacations and, and such as we were a while back, a lot of times if we go on vacation, we might go to a theme park, might go someplace. Uh, Ellie, you went to a theme park this summer, right? Uh, you went to Six Flags. D uh, did you ride Thunder River? 
Yeah, so Thunder River, uh, or, or near and dear to my heart, uh, a very similar ride at Silver Valley City, the Lost River of the Ozarks. It's, both of them are, you know, you're on these, these big rafts, and, and you go and you go out into the rapids, and, and you're, you're going around. And, and it's, while you're standing in line, it's often really hot, and you're thinking, oh, it's so miserably hot. But then you get to the end of the line, and th- there's one of these big rubber rafts that you're going to get in. And as soon as you put your foot onto that and it starts moving, you know there's inevitability. You're going to be soaking wet. There's nothing you can do about it at that point. You're on the raft, and it's starting to move. And, and well, maybe if you're on a genuine white river raft, you could steer over to shore. You know on these rides, the ride is set up. It's, it's going, and, and it has the power to take you there. And, and whether you want to be wet or not at this point, if you're thinking, oh, you know, I'm not sure I want to be soaked for the rest of the day, too bad. You're, you're, you're on the path to an utter soaking. And, and in the middle of summer on a hot day like today, it, it, that sounds like a pretty good thing. Some days it's a little cooler, and you think, eh, maybe I wasn't thinking so wisely getting on this. But on a hot day, it is really refreshing. And in the uncertainty of life, we're living in what's the equivalent of a hot day. But as Jesus invites us onto his raft, as Jesus invites us into his people, even more inevitable than hopping on Thunder River or the Lost River of the Ozarks and getting soaked is experiencing the fullness of God's salvation. Theme park rides break down. So maybe, I, I've never experienced it, but maybe you could actually be on that raft and it would stop and the rapids would stop and nothing would happen. That's not going to happen with God. He's not going to have the power go out. Some other deity isn't going to come and conquer him. God is victorious. And so as we look at God's faithfulness in the past, just as Habakkuk sees here, so too can we We can know that God's faithfulness in the past means this, that God is and God will be faithful. Whatever you're carrying today, it's not faithful for other people in distant lands. It's not even that he's faithful for other people in this room. God is faithful and God is with you. That's the hope that we have as he calls us into his presence. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, so often, even as you call us into your presence, even as you call us onto the raft of salvation, we we hesitate. We wonder, where is it going? Will it really go where we want it to go? Will we really experience salvation? Will, Will we really experience your mercy? And yet, you tell us time and again that as we turn to you, you have been and you will be faithful. And so whether it's for the first time that we ever turn to you or we've turned to you time and again and yet still as it seems as inevitable we we start to experience that fear again and that uncertainty again lord would you remind us that your salvation is sure and secure and you are the one who will bring out the victory that you have proclaimed we pray in jesus name amen